Thanks for joining us. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Great show planned for you today. In just a second, we'll take a look at the week in review, and a little later, we'll hear more about the sandwich generation. It's tough when you're taking care of children and aging parents, and it takes good planning, and Annex Wealth Management can help. Also, remarriage takes great estate planning, and we'll dig into that. Toward the end of the show, a closer look at what exactly goes into a comprehensive financial plan, what it is and what it isn't. Stick around for that. I'm Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, joined by Derek Felsky. Derek is our Chief Investment Officer at Annex. Hello, pal. Hi, Dave. So we have a lot going on. There's no question we have to start with the week in review. And of course, on Friday afternoon, a lot of red. It's the first time we've seen red for the week in uh, several weeks. Right. This is the first down week in the last five. Uh, the markets obviously had a huge rebound with the NASDAQ recovering over 20% from its lows and the S&P roughly 19%. And essentially, a lot of the things that I think triggered that rally started to reverse this week. We saw gasoline prices start to move back up a little bit, oil prices as well. Uh, we saw mortgage rates start to tick up, and the two-year Treasury is now trading at almost 3%. So some concern about higher interest rates. And next week, of course, we have Jackson Hole, where we may hear about the intentions of the Fed. Yeah, and so, of course, that is a lot of information. And on Friday afternoon, we got news that Russia is going to decrease its output out of Nord Stream. And of course, that has a dramatic effect on Germany and Europe as a whole. So energy was something we were paying attention to. But of course, the Fed is really where we want to spend some time because that that certainly will be the topic of conversation in Jackson Hole coming up this week. And, and they've been fairly consistent. Um, this week, we heard from Bullard. He suggested that he's leaning towards another 75 basis point uh, rate hike. Uh, Neil Kashkari, who actually was a dove, is now seemingly a hawk. So so the Fed continues to jawbone interest rates higher, uh, talking about the challenges of just destroying enough demand to curb inflation. Yeah, and of course, that is the center of the conversation, inflation. And of course, we saw the Inflation Reduction Act. And folks, I'm using air quotes here now because we're on radio. And if there isn't a lot of evidence that there is a lot of inflation-reducing parts of this bill. Right, and there's also spending accompanying as well as tax increases. So, you know, I view it kind of as a wash in terms of its market impact. Uh, but some people took that to believe that, you know, the fiscal spending will continue even though the Fed is trying to reduce liquidity and cause interest rates to go up to the point where inflation and you know, and, and just liquidity stimulus in general is lessened. Yeah, that's right. And so, of course, the Fed is trying to continue to raise interest rates to slow down the economy, and that has a lagged effect. And so there's a term that we've been using lately that has not been around for 30 or 40 years, and that is a stagnant economy and inflation at the same time, stagflation. And we've seen that term pop up a lot this last week. Right. You know, it's slowing growth with, with inflationary pressures. I mean, thus far, inflation has actually goose corporate or sales, which has helped earnings. But, you know, if inflation gets too high, that's a, that's a period when you typically see lower P.E. multiples, which even though earnings have remained uh, basically flat, has contributed to the majority of the decline in stocks we've seen this year. And we've had this uh, debate, of course, of, you know, this, this terminology that's been out there. Were we in a recession or were we not? We know a generally accepted uh, understanding of a recession was two back-to-back -back quarters of negative GDP. And we saw that, but a lot of economists want to argue against 
that. And now the conversation happening this week is, are we in a new bull market or a bear market rally? Right. And, and you can make a case either way. I mean, one of the you know things we talk about every week, Dave, as you know, on the investment committee is what we want our allocation to equities to be relative to what we consider to be an appropriate target to generate uh, good risk-adjusted returns. And we're basically relatively neutral. I mean, we we have an eye to increase our allocation, but we like to do that uh, you know, on weakness, not on strength, because we believe a lot of the clouds that have caused the market to decline this year are still present. And that's right. And that's the reason why, folks, you have to know what is in your portfolio. You should know the difference. One team, one plan, one fee. That means we handle your investment and retirement planning, your tax planning, and your estate planning with a financial plan built for you that includes every aspect of the Annex team. Most importantly, we are a fee-only fiduciary, and that means complete fee transparency. In the meantime, if we can help, head to our website, AnnexWealth.com, and click the Get Started button. We'll be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're back. Website is AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button, and you can check out our webinar series when you click the Events tab on our website. I'm Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Derek, you know, we had so much that we covered in the week in review. We kind of flew over a lot of the things that we've been talking about the entire week, and that, of course, is sectors that, that we pay attention to oil, inflation, the U.S. dollar, and of course, and where do we invest with that information? Right. And, you know, one of the linchpins to our approach has been to focus on on tactical opportunities where they exist. So, you know, to us, technology stocks still remain very attractive. And by that, I mean technology companies that are, you know, enterprise-centric, uh, have, a, have a good uh, predominance on the on the cloud and so on, not companies that trade for, you know, high sky-high multiples of sales and don't earn any money. In addition to that, you know, we've, we've liked healthcare for the long haul, too. The demographics remain very favorable. Uh, demand tends to, to stay fairly consistent no matter what the economic cycle. And there are a lot of pent-up procedures that did not occur during COVID and that let me are just jump to in, you know, And let me just jump in there. You know, I, I read a great article uh, by Goldman Sachs this past week about all of the great demand putting those two sectors together, healthcare and technology, and that is so much of biotech and everything that's in that industry. So there is a lot to be excited about. I didn't want to cut you off because there's some more that, uh, sectors that you want to pay well, attention to. Well, and it's really where the United States differentiates itself from the rest of the world. When we think about why international stocks have underperformed the U.S., I think one of the biggest reasons is they do not have a big tech sector at all, and the source of innovation in healthcare has been in the United States, not overseas. So, you know, when people continue to say, well, international stocks are cheap. Maybe they're cheap for a reason. Yeah, that's right. And that is obviously the argument of value for a long time. And then we have to look at energy and where energy is going and, you know, what is happening with oil prices. And, you know, it's a commodity, of course. And so we're not really sure. It's not like you can put a valuation on it, but there's so many inputs in that. We, you know, we've read reports that it's going to $180 a barrel and back to 60. So it's difficult to invest in that sector unless you buy the individual names. Right. And as, as you alluded to, um, you know, Putin is weaponizing energy. It's one way for him to fight the idea that, you know, 
the East is, is supplying the Ukrainians with missiles, so he'll use that as an excuse to cause problems for Germany and the UK. UK inflation is going to be north of 13% this year, which is another reason why you know the US has been sort of an oasis, because the odds of a recession over there are much higher than they are here. Yeah, and, and Europe has got a lot going on. I mean, all the way from the rail strikes and everything else, and inflation, as you said, is you know way worse than it is in the United States. And we talk about a recession in the United States, you also have to talk about a global recession, and we do have to put that on, on the alert screen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, typically you don't see the end of a bear market until you see both PE multiples and earnings shrink. And we really haven't seen that in the case of earnings. We've, we've seen some negative guidance. There were some more companies this week, like Wayfair announced layoffs, Best Buy announced layoffs. But the one thing they have common is they, they actually benefited greatly during the pandemic. So perhaps they overhired thinking demand would remain sustainable. So you got to look for other areas, areas that are less exploited, like hotels, theme parks, and the rest, where there's some revenge travel going on, and those companies have pricing power. Yeah, revenge travel. You know, the last thing I wanted I want to get to, of course, is there was good news, and of course, the market has certainly rallied. You know, the Nasdaq uh, did enter technically a bull market, up 20 percent from trough to peak, and the S and P 500 not far behind, about 17 percent before it gave some of it back. And so there was good news uh, by some companies, and even in the retail sector. Absolutely. It really depends on how you're positioned. Home Depot and Walmart both reported better than expected results. Uh, Kohl's actually threw a kitchen sink at their quarter, in my opinion. They basically dramatically lowered their estimates. But, you know, some of their initiatives like the Sephora thing are actually starting to pay some dividends. And that's a stock that it's going to take a lot of patience, but it certainly is uh, very cheap at the current time. And so we don't want to talk about individual names. It has to fit into your portfolio. But we're talking about the retail sector uh, in general. And really, that's been a sector that has really gotten beat down. And we go through and we build portfolios. There's a core part of the portfolio, say it's a 60-40 or 70-30 split. And then around that, we do what's called tactical investing in overweight or underweight in some of these sectors. And that's the reason why we bring it up. And that's the reason why you need a fee-only fiduciary on your side. Every family is different, and each one has challenges. If you're balancing raising kids and helping with aging parents, you're in what's called the sandwich generation. Deanne Phillips shares some insights in our next segment. And when it comes to investment and retirement planning, it's important to know what you own and what you're paying for. it. There are so many moving pieces when it comes to successful retirement planning, and we can help. AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. We'll be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, for Saturday, August 20th on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference in a segment addressing the sandwich generation. Deanne Phillips sees it a lot. Welcome back, Deanne. Hi, Danny. So as Director of Client Learning and Development, you're a CFP, CDFA, a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. You work with a wide variety of clients, and you see it. The sandwich generation can be a tough spot. And we're talking about basically an estimated 9 million sandwich generation caregivers having to care for generations on either side. So you see both. Yeah. So it sounds delicious, but let's define that. What it really means is you've got people usually in their 40s or 50s that are taking care of maybe older parents and sometimes grandparents and either kids or grandkids. So you can have a multi-layer deck sandwich in there, Danny, and you've got people that are trying to juggle their own families and jobs and their own finances and assisting family members. I know you did. You had to go through this. That I is mean, true. You, you've got a teenager and you had an aging mom and an aging aunt. So you 
were doing this. That is that is very true. And running back and forth, and you know, there's the juggle of you've got, you've got work, and you have to have an understanding workplace. It depends upon your career. A lot of this happens to women tend to be the primary caretakers, and it happens at that prime apex of your career as well, usually, unfortunately. You know, you say primary caretakers, but that doesn't mean full-time caregivers, like somebody employed at a care facility. This is running back and forth, oh, getting getting meds, get, talking with, with doctors. The sandwich generation caregivers are balancing full-time as well, and it's got to impact both sides. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. New statistics show that a third of those caregivers live in the same house as their parent, or their parent lives with them, and they need to have backup and help for that parent while they're out either taking care of their own family or working. You know, that's kind of the European way, right? Gen- yeah. Generations are under one roof. Sure. And the other thing is, is that people are having children sometimes later in life. That's kind of pushing things down the track. So you've got kids as your parents are definitely getting into that age when they really are starting to fail. That is very true. And failing in maybe a different way. It might not be uh, physically failing, could be mentally. So about 25% of dementia caregivers are also caring for children under the age of 18. Now, that's a tough thing. You know, let's translate that into what we do here at Annex. And what we see as planners, and I see as a CFP all the time, are people come and they sit in front of me and say, all right, (laughs) I've lived this or I've seen this. How can I not be a burden on my own children? Mm. And that's a really great question. So how can I save? How can I plan for myself? This is really, Danny, where financial planning is so incredibly valuable. You know, at Annex, we look in terms of wealth management. We talk about that's really the holistic look at everything. It's all your financial resources your income, social security, pensions. We look at all the outflows, our needs like housing, food, fuel, and our wants, right? Important. Uh, The travel, the fun money, you know, that we want to do, the entertainment that's in retirement. We plug all that into the financial plan, offset it for inflation, and look at projections of where the assets will go in 10, 20, 30 years. But here's the important thing. Then we stress test that financial plan. Mm. So we say, all right, we'd all like to live happy and healthily until we're 91 and then, you know, that go in our sleep, right? But we have to actually layer in some reality here that what if, if you're a couple, one of you or both of you were hit with a long-term care need or a premature death? What does that do to the surviving spouse? How does that uh, deal with the finances in the plan? So it's really important to stress test that. Sure, because you can chug along. And in my dad's case, I mean, he went well into his mid-80s. It was just those last couple of years when all of a sudden... And he had planned. He was a client. He had planned. And so we knew that if his care cost X, that could be taken care of. And that was that was huge. It is huge. But, you know, I also want to bring up that the care can run the other way also. So we're, we've been talking about aging parents, but there's an awful lot of millennials that are choosing to go back home mm. in between okay. school or before their career or in between their career. And that can have and put a burden on people that are just pre-retirement as well. So uh, and, and especially it can stress family finances, but we see even more than the finances, the psychological stress. Because parents are sometimes afraid to lay down the law with their adult children and say, all right, let's have some expectations. Let's let's see where they're going to kick in in terms of chores or sharing financially and responsibility around the home. So what we advocate, whether it's uh, looking down at the sandwich or up at the sandwich, right, are family meetings. Really understand before something, I don't want to say disaster, before a situation strikes, right? Before your hand is really forced and you need to make very quick, very rapid decisions, decisions that you might want a little bit more time to take. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about parents for a moment. You know, talk to your parents about their assets. Ask them about how they want to live as they age. Maybe they're not comfortable saying how much money they have. That's fine. But they should be able to share with you, have they done their estate plan? You know, who should make the medical and financial decisions for them if they can't handle their own affairs? Are all the legal docs in place before they're needed? That health care, POA, financial power of attorney, the HIPAA agreements and the wills. And, you know, speaking of HIPAA and health care, those adult children need that, too, because once they're over the age of consent, the uh, health care facilities don't need to contact parents. It takes planning. It takes a pro like Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only fiduciary. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA, and a veteran of a sandwich generation situation. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. In the middle there. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. Talk a lot about how we can help you. Here's where we can help you. Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon. We're in Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, inside the Fist. We're in Madison, Naples, Florida, and Libertyville, Illinois. As close as your computer at AnnexWealth.com. It's news time. Let's head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, Jill Martin, an estate planning attorney with Annex. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. Uh, We dot I's, we cross T's here at Annex Wealth Management when it comes to our clients. Details matter, and really in your world for sure with estate planning, plenty of details to watch, including some gotchas. We're going to talk about remarriages with seniors, right? So gray divorce is on the upswing. People find love again. There are steps people should take to make sure everything goes smooth, right? Absolutely. Um, It's something that, yes, we see a lot more of nowadays. But, you know, it's not just the remarriage where there's some gotchas, right? You got to rewind and go all the way back to maybe the initial divorce that happened where part of your estate plan can really get thrown off the rails if you don't do things at that point in time. All right. What should somebody do with an estate plan when they're contemplating, initiating, and finalizing a divorce? If you had an estate plan, what you want to make sure you do is a lot of times those get drafted in a way that it says, I leave my assets to my spouse. So if there is a divorce that's happened and it's been finalized, those provisions kind of become null and void as it relates to the spouse. So that's really good for wills, maybe even trusts or the powers of attorney, but that doesn't catch beneficiary designations or jointly owned property with that now ex-spouse. While you may not need to update legal documents on the divorce, you got to do some other stuff because otherwise bad things can happen. There's enough havoc in the whole divorce thing. Do you do this right after, during, part of, when? It depends, right? Some people, they're contemplating divorce, so they're already starting to separate assets or they've changed their estate plan because they know where they're headed, right? So some people are really proactive. Others, it's more, it becomes an after the fact situation. I think that's what we see more often is, is we're divorced Now I want to make sure I'm providing for my kids or whoever my beneficiaries that I want to have happen. So we need to go and get the plan updated. Time heals all wounds. The dust is settled. You meet somebody new. Things look great. Uh, You're contemplating remarriage. What does one need to think about then? Well, you know, I'm going to use the word prenuptial agreement, right? And that has a lot of negative connotations around it because people think you're doing a prenup to protect assets, or maybe there's one really wealthy spouse and maybe one that's not. You're not really doing it in contemplation of another divorce, though. What you're doing is is you're protecting rights because with marriage, there comes inherent rights by statute that a spouse is entitled to so much upon death. 
So if that's not what you want to have happen because you've got children from a prior marriage or other things that are happening, you want to do that prenup so that the two of you contracted with each other as to who gets what when you pass away. And I'm guessing each spouse then does need to then update their estate plan. Do they do it as a thing that's together or are they separate or what? Yeah. So once you actually say I do, right, and you get remarried, then it's a matter of if you did that prenup, you want to go and make sure the estate plan gets updated to reflect that. Some attorneys will actually represent both sides in that situation to do the estate plan, but other attorneys are very adamant about they each need to have their own attorney to be separately represented because there is an inherent conflict of interest there. If you think about it, right, your new spouse and the children from a prior marriage, what are the odds that they're going to get along, especially after you're gone? What you're really doing is is you're protecting both sides of the equation so that you are providing for what you want to have happen and what you want your spouse to receive, and you're protecting the rights of what you want your kids to receive. So it's written down. It's all legally documented. There's enforceable rights there. Then both sides are protected, and you're leaving it. You're kind of closing the door to arguments that could happen after the fact. Let's talk about the critical stuff, and I'm going to guess that falls under things like beneficiary designations, maybe titling of assets. That's important. It really is. And what you think about often is going to be that marital house, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe the two of you went and bought a new house together for your new remarried life, and you're both on the deed. So is it something that you want your kids to get your half of that house when you pass away? Do you want your spouse to get the house so that then she can do whatever she wants with it upon her passing? What do you actually want to have happen with that house? The titling is one component of it, but it's upon death. Where do you want it to go? So that's a big one that people kind of have some hiccups over. And the other one that I've seen happen in real life is going to be beneficiary designations on 401ks, life insurance. I've seen it where it's actually still payable to the ex-spouse. No way. Absolutely. Did they take the money? You bet they did. Oh, they did. Because unfortunately, those are those are contracts. And so you go to your 401k provider and it's a contract and you signed and said, "My ex-spouse is the beneficiary." has nothing to do with whether she's a spouse or not. And so by law, legal right, she can take it and she doesn't have to give it back to anybody else, whether it's the new spouse, children, whatever. So it gets to be really, really messy if you leave those old 401ks out there. Annex Wealth Management, we do investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and as you just heard, lots of detail with estate planning. That's what we do. Start at AnnexWealth.com. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Hey, before we go to break, a couple of things I want to remind you about. Sign up for the Axiom, which is our free weekly newsletter that arrives on Sunday. Subscribe, Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, over 1,500 videos. We'll be right back on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager, and Director of Branch Development. Welcome back. Danny. Part of the process of working with Annex Wealth Management is our complimentary portfolio review. We do insurance analysis for our clients. We have Wealthmetric, a great look at what's next for our clients. Tax planning is part of our service to our clients. Estate planning is also part. But Brandon, none of those things is financial planning. Why not? Well, it's really because if you're just looking at each of those individually, you're looking at it in a vacuum, right? So how does each impact one another? Prime example, for instance, is insurance. 
I'm picking on insurance because when you look at it, just stand alone, it might make sense or it might not. You might have had a recommendation to do X, but do they know about everything else? That's where you really need to take and start tying it all in together. If you think about it, all of them are important by themselves, but when you tie it in together, it's what's important to you. Not just important as a topic, but important to you. You find that most people as they age, they probably get insurance first. Maybe they're investing a little bit. You have insurance even in your 20s, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest. I have a, I have term. I have a family. I have a mortgage. There's things that you have to cover. So we, we all start there, but then you have to think about how that impacts everything else as well. That's one piece. Let's talk about another piece, which is investment planning. So investment planning, you know, we're all taught at an early age, you know, put it in the 401k, save, but how are you doing that? Is it the most effective? Is it the most efficient way? I look at, you know, are you getting the full match? Are you at least getting the full match? Are you putting enough to get that? Are you maxing out? What percentage goes into Roth 401k versus traditional 401k if you have that? But you don't know the answer to that unless you dive into the rest of the stuff that we're talking about today. You know what? And I called it investment planning earlier. That's not investment planning. That is just plain old investing. Correct. Correct. You're, you're actually not planning for much except save and retire, but you have to tie it all in and all of it goes on all the different other parts that exist. We're with Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager and Director of Branch Development. We're talking about a financial plan only being as good as the sum of its parts, unbalanced, it's unproductive. How about tax planning? So that dives back into what we just mentioned when you talk investments. Well, it's investment planning, but what are you doing? Is it impacting your tax plan? Do you even know? Have you looked at it? That's the question where you have to tie it all back. Again, in silos, yes, it's good to review. But how does it impact? The biggest question that we probably get from folks, when you think about the accumulators, the younger accumulators especially, maybe 30 to 50 is, should I do pre-tax 401k or Roth 401k? And that's about it. And and that's the question. And and my answer is, I don't know. And and they look at me kind of, well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, it it depends. And then it, it depends because what is your situation? If we're just looking at it in a vacuum, well, sure, do one of them. But how does the tax plan fit? And that's where tax planning is so important. But again, if you're letting the tax tail wag the dog, now you've gotten away from the rest of the planning you're trying to get done. Yeah. And then the nitty gritty, which is retirement planning. And that's really where you start to need these things. But I'm sure that we've got some people that come into Annex Wealth Management and they've done the investing and they've got an insurance policy and maybe they've got a will, and but it's still not a retirement plan. No, it's not. In in a plan is a holistic approach to everything you have going on. It's tying in all of these different components. So the components of the tax, the components of the investments, the components of the insurance, and then the estate. You know, estate is something that most people kind of gloss over because, hey, I did that. But your life has changed over the course of maybe 20 years. My life has changed since the last time I did mine. I haven't done mine in a few years. And now we have three kids. So it's, it's important to sit down and review. But when you look at the retirement plan, how does it all fit in? Because retirement planning is a broad category, but you as an individual household need to have one specific to you. And yours is different 
for sure it's going to be different than anybody else you talk to because everybody's situation is different. We recently talked about the value of an advisor and an advisor like Annex Wealth Management really ties all this stuff together because somebody comes in and they've got you know an armful of statements and maybe a, an old will that they've got and all this stuff. It needs to get sewn up. Correct. I think that's one of the things I enjoy the most about when we start a relationship with somebody at Annex is it's gathering all those pieces and then finding things and saying, hey, do you remember this? Have you thought about this? And they go, wow, I haven't looked at that in years. A great thing we just went through was an insurance review again with somebody and they go, you know what? I'm not even sure if we still have that. And then they look and they go, oh, wow, it actually is still being drawn from our bank account. Um, but it was a small amount. It, it just it was something where they had seen it, they remembered it. But as we took a deep dive and started going down all these, you could call them rabbit holes, mm -hmm. but that lead to one true plan at the end and say, this is what you need to do based on our recommendations and what we see as a team at Annex. I think a lot of people would say, I'm just really too busy. It's not a good time. You can't be too busy. And it is the time. It's always the time. Um, we have a picture in our hallway that talks about, you know, what's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago yeah. or today? You know, you got to start somewhere. And I look at that as there's no time like the present, because if you wait, things can change that you might not have been able to plan for, particularly uh, maybe a layoff, maybe a change in lifestyle, maybe a health issue. So if you can't plan for all that, but you can at least put it together and start discussing it. Put it together. All of it. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. It's a fee-only fiduciary. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager and Director of Branch Development. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Thanks for joining us today. Here's more to come. Quick break on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Website, AnnexWealth.com. And while you're there, sign up for the Axiom. It's our weekly newsletter. A lot of really good stuff that we put out and send it out every Sunday. Also, check out the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. Over 1,500 videos we've done and all this content produced by the Annex team. I'm Dave Spano, President and CEO at Annex in the studio with Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Derek, you know, during the break, we were chatting about a lot of things. And one of them was just gas prices. And the other is what we heard from two different CEOs in the retail space. Right. The, the Walmart CEO basically said that the reason they had a, a better than expected monthly result was that people who make more than $100,000 in income were actually going to Walmart sniffing out bargains in the grocery side of exactly. the store, which I thought was really incredible. And then at the same time, you know, Target, which basically misassessed where customer demand was going to be, they had to take a lot of discounting in order to get clear out some inventory. So they reported a, a mixed a negative result. So it's all over the place in retail land. I mean, people's spending habits have changed, you know, from goods to services. That's caused good producers to have, have weaker quarters. Whereas on the service side, companies tend to be doing pretty well and are able to pass along price increases. In fact, you know, one of the bright spots that I heard this week was that chicken wing prices have actually fallen 62%. They're now below where they were pre-pandemic. So if you go to a local pub and you're paying more for chicken wings, you might want to talk to the proprietor <laughs> about this price gouging. <laughs> exactly. So we'll have to do that. But, you know, the, the thing about inflation is it can become structural. In other words, stickier. And we've talked about this now for more than a year 
here that some of this inflation is structural and it's going to take a long time for it to go away. So I think the days, Derek, of going back to a 2% target may be years off. And so the Fed has a heavy lift in front of them, and they're going to have to watch the data and raise interest rates until we see structural inflation come down. Yeah, and, and the challenges they face, you know, when they look at that core PCE, rents are a big component there. And rental listings in the second quarter were 23% higher nationwide compared to the same period in 2019. These are asking prices for new, for new tenants, right? They're not able to pass along those kinds of increases typically to existing tenants. But that just tells you, though, the strength in the housing market has led to higher and higher rental prices. And that's not going to go away anytime soon because those are long dated contracts. I agree with that. But however, there's two things I want to say about that. Number one is inflation is the rate of change, right? So even though inflation went up, what is the rate of change? And so if it starts to flatten out here, maybe inflation begins to level out. Well, it may lay a level out, but it's still at a higher higher price so than you were price, paying and what you're used to. the rate to. of change, inflation. Right. right. I mean, and then but, the second thing I want to say, Derek, is, you know, you look at where the housing listings are, and a lot of these home uh, sellers are down six, seven months in a row. Right. Home, home, New home sales are down six, seven months in a row, but housing prices are still up right. and mortgage rates are up. So a for housing affordability has gotten worse. And at the same time, builder sentiment has gotten pretty negative. So eventually things resolve themselves. But that's one of the first things the Fed's looking at. They need to cause that housing market to cool off. That's right. And you gave me that hope survey uh, that, that was pretty interesting. But this is it, folks. Derek and I are having this debate live here. And that's really what's happening with the Federal Reserve. And there are 1,000 PhDs that they employ. And so they're not sure what's going to happen. And that's the reason why you have to build portfolios. And when we do that, Derek, one of the main things that you look at is free cash flow. Right. And free cash flow is, is basically the ability of a company to, to weather a storm. So when you've got a period where economic growth is slowing, the economy may be weakening, there might be a, a recession overseas, you want companies that are generating cash flow that are, able, that are able to buy back shares, have stocks at reasonably high margins and can pay dividends. That protects you on the downside. And, and essentially, those are sustainable franchises anyway. Those are the types of companies you really want to own for the long term. That's right. And that is the key is to look at the other side of this economic trough that we're currently in. And that takes a steady hand. And folks, uh, we've been doing this a very long time. So when it comes to investment and retirement planning, it's important that you know what you own and what you're paying for it. There's so many moving pieces when it comes to successful retirement planning, and we can help. AnnexWealth.com. Just click the Get Started button. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. And we're going to talk soon. So go to AnnexWealth.com, sign up for the Axiom. You're going to get a lot of our insights throughout the week. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.